Congratulations. SAFM leading the conversation countrywide. This is SAFM Sport with Tabiso Musia. And Coach Farouk Khan of Stars of Africa Academy joins us again on the line. Coach, thanks for being able to take our call again tonight. We really appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Tabiso. Thanks, Coach. Maybe let's start by just looking quickly at AFCON. Coach, are there any trends you've picked up at this AFCON as to how the teams are playing football? Has anything attracted your interest? Well, I think I've been a little bit disappointed, uh, disappointed in the fact that there hasn't been many goals. I think there's been quite a few penalty shootouts. And uh, I think that's an area that's affecting most of the African teams is scoring. I think it's an area that needs to be looked at very closely. I do think that facilities do make a big difference. For example, if you look at kids growing up, they don't often play on proper goals. And I think that's a priority in any country. I think when I, when I look back at the time when I went to Brazil, I think that if, you, if you look at Brazil as a nation, they were also having a problem with space. What they did was they populated the beaches with mm. goalposts. They populated those tennis courts with futsal uh, uh, courts. And I think this was where the mass participation took place because when a kid grows up playing on a goal, he obviously has a, a better chance of evolving as a goal scorer. Whereas if you play over bricks and over one foul, there's always the debate, is it a goal, isn't it a goal? You don't know how high the ball has gone over. So I think goalposts are very essential. And I think in Africa, because of our infrastructure or lack of it, we, we, we don't have kids growing up playing on proper goalposts. That's an interesting one, Coach Farouk. Another problem that we've seen in our football is just players just don't shoot. They don't back themselves to shoot. And somebody once said it could be because of a lack of equipment when players were growing up. They didn't have proper soccer boots and they were scared to kick the ball as hard as they could because it was sore. Could, could that be a reason also? Does that make sense? Well, I think to some extent, you know, when you look at kids growing up, most of the time kids when they in, 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 in bygone days they were playing street football and that was a means to becoming a professional player. There was no structured coaching. And I think if you look at how the game has evolved now, you know, you hardly find children playing in streets anymore. So I think we need to reinvent that type of football as a basic form of development. And by saying that, I think what we should encourage is futsal should become a, a entry level at school and in, in, the, in, the, in, in, the, in the cities where there's so many vacant areas of areas where tennis courts are not being used, etc. We need to convert that into uh, futsal courts where kids can play. If you look at some of the greatest players, I think there's something on Netflix now, on Neymar. Yes, he was yes, a product that, yeah. out of futsal. You look at Ronaldinho. Mm-hmm. He was a product from futsal. And I can go across a list of uh, uh, legendary Brazilians that started their football playing futsal. And the reason there is very simple, uh, is the fact that you have so many touches on the ball, you're constantly moving, it's a dynamic game, it's five against five on, on a proper goal. And, and that really is the, the, the beginning of a footballer's development where he's constantly having contact with the ball. Whereas if you look at currently what is happening in our, uh, our space, you have uh, kids growing up not having enough opportunities to play the game and at school, also in the past, I mean, if you look at them, I want to go to the past because if you look mm. at some of the greatest players that South Africa produced, the Jomo Sonos, Kaiser Matons, they came from Orlando High and they played against the opponents from the other parts of Soweto. Mm. And this is where the, the crowds used to come in numbers. This is where these stars were born. I don't think that is the case anymore. I must take off my hat to Sundowns, uh, the Mosepi League they have in schools, but it's a knockout competition. It's not a league. It's like you're in, 
and the stronger teams will knock you out. And it's just a process that continues. I think kids have to play on an ongoing basis. I think football being, in my opinion, should be number one sport in this country. We should start investing more in grassroots football. Yes, and Dr. Kumalo was telling us last Friday about how they were identified from schools football also and how they used to play every Wednesday in Soweto and those games would be packed and packed and packed. So where do you think we've lost it, Coach, when it comes to school fo- schools football? I know that there was a court case between SAFA, obviously, and the South African Schools Football Association about who should be in charge of schools football. Well, I think, you know, when, when, when these bodies have their own internal politics and problems, the, the, the people that suffer most are the kids. I think if you look at kids in these days, and I'm, I stand corrected, but what I've heard from many people is that kids have what they call life skills, so they can mm. choose to have a, a, a different subject to do during that sports period. In the past, I don't know how old you are, Toby, so but I'm sure when you went to school, there was a PE. Uh, yes, PE yes, yes. At least once or twice a week. That's something of the past now. Kids don't, don't have sport at school. And I think it's sad to see that it has happened because we're becoming a nation of unfit human beings. We're having a, a, becoming a nation where obesity is very prevalent. It's impacting on our, 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 our health. Uh, and the health department is spending millions just keeping people healthy, whereas sport can be used to, uh, to ensure that there's uh, more healthy people growing up because uh, an unhealthy child becomes an unhealthy adult. So I think if we use football as an, uh, as an opportunity, you know, you've played the game maybe even in the in 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 lower level. There's so much movement constantly. You play a game over two hours of 20, 30 minutes, you've had such a good workout. You know, it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's a mixture of aerobic and anaerobic conditioning. And that's what the body needs to get rid of the excess fat, to become fit, to become uh, a, a, a very uh, healthy person in, in, in the society. And, and I want to say football is, is, is obviously a means to achieving that even if it is done on a social basis. And last week, Coach Farouk, we spoke about the formations, looking at what was in the document. But a lot has also been said about how we should play as South Africans. Um, but should we have our own playing identity then? And, and what should that be when it comes to just playing? Well, firstly, like I said last week, uh, so what we need to look at is we need to look at the majority of our players. Our, our players are not physically... Uh, similar to like your Nigerian, yeah. your, your Senegalese, etc. We're not huge in size or in stature, but what we make up for is we're very quick, we're very dynamic, we're very skillful, and we can use that to, to our advantage. If we encourage players to use their speed and their skill in combination, I think we've proven it in the past. I mean, if you look at some of our exports that went to Europe, the likes of, of Steven Pinar, the likes of even uh, Percy Tao lately. What makes Percy so special? He's not huge in stature, but he makes up for that with that, that phenomenal skill and speed that he's, that he's able to, to use to his advantage. So I think we should encourage our players to use that to their strength and then come up with a formation. A formation is the easiest part of our problem. I think whether we play with a 4-4-2 or a 4-3-3, it doesn't matter. On the day, the coach who selects his team will look at the qualities, and if he's a qualified coach, if he's a knowledgeable coach, he'll decide on a formation. I think formations as such vary from time to time. I think when I was in Brazil, everybody, including the youth, including the ladies, played a specific formation. So you would see the national uh, team, the Selecao, playing with a 4-4-2 with a mm-hmm. false wing. Uh, back, uh, false wing attackers, so they wouldn't have a 4-4-2, which is flat. They'd have four with three, and then they have a false wing. 
They have Danielson, very skillful playing in a very much of a free role. I utilized that with Jabu Pule when I was at the academy at uh, Chiefs, and it worked wonderfully well. But the players were able to, 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 to be able to carry out that formation successfully. But then again, you may not have that quality, so you go for a 4-4-2, which is a very balanced system, both, both in attack and defense. So I think we must not focus too much on what formation. When it comes to the philosophy, yes, we should decide that the philosophy should be that the, the way we want to play is we want to play out of the back, we want to build up in the midfield, and then we want to use speed and skill in the attacking third. We want to play with a lot of uh, change of, of, uh, of, of pace and change the point of attack constantly, use our skill, encourage our players to go for more one-on-one uh, attacks where they take on the opposition, make them feel uncomfortable, and look to play a lot of combinations to, uh, to, to undo those uh, well-structured defense so that we're going to come across both in Africa and in the world in general. I think if we look at that as a yardstick, then at, at we, the philosophy will, will, will be utilized from grassroots right through to, to Bafana. So there's an identity. So when you look at, let's say you look at a, a, a ladies team playing, mm. you won't see a significant difference in the way they approach the game. It may change a little bit as far as the formation is concerned, but you'll say this is South Africa play. Similarly to some of the greatest nations in the world, when you look at Argentina, the way the men team play and the way the ladies team play, there's a great similarity. And how does it work at your own academy, Stars of Africa? Do, do you encourage your teams to play the same way? The coaches to teach them the same way? We have one philosophy at Stars of Africa. The philosophy is built on four, four aspects. We encourage the players to keep the ball on the ground. We encourage the players to use triangulation as a means to attack. We encourage the players to limit the touches. By limit, we don't mean one, two, three. They must decide which, how many touches is required in a certain moment. And last but not least, we encourage them to change the point of attack. Now, those four pillars mm-hmm. clearly tells those players, whether they're under six or whether they're this SAB team, this is how the team plays. When we're in possession, there's constant movement. We use triangulation to, 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 to uh, ensure that our build-up is successful. We change the point of attack because you know today, Tabiso, everybody's looking at pressing as a norm. Mm. Whether it's counter-pressing, whether it's zonal defending, so teams will always defend the stronger side. So if the ball is on the left, the, team, the defensive team will obviously move over to isolate that area and leave space on the opposite side, and that's where changing the point of attack can become such a powerful tool. Um, keeping mm-hmm. the ball on the ground, we, we know we're not the biggest in size and stature, so it suits us to have the ball on the ground. So we're not saying that you shouldn't play balls in the air or you shouldn't cross in the air, but we say for most of the game, we want to see the ball being played on the ground. Limiting the touches, we yeah. want players to be disciplined enough to ensure that when there's an opportunity to play the early forward pass, they don't unnecessarily hog the ball. They release the ball. They support the player that they pass to. It's a, a case of pass and support the play. Pass and move. Always creating triangles, always creating combinations, and always being there when the ball is lost to ensure that you press the opposition and win it back immediately. That's very simplistic, and I don't think players become confused. Mm-hmm. But when you become too theoretical, and you're speaking about this formation, and you're speaking about all these elaborate things, you're speaking over the head of those young players. Mm. You need to give them basic triggers, like I've mentioned before now. Mm. And it's easy for them to remember those triggers and implement it. I mean, you were at the engine tournament and you looked at Stars of Africa, how they progressed through the tournament. That's actually what I wanted to say, because I can visualize everything you're saying, and your players are not even that big. I mean, you won an under-17 tournament with 15-year-olds. I'll never forget that. And a couple of 14-year-olds also. Yes, exactly. And I mean, currently we have now boys that were with us for the last 
let's say three or four years stuff. He's from the age. There's a boy called KG from Katlong. He's been with us for four years. He's now playing in the Castle League team at 14. Oh. Now, you must understand, at 14, I have to be very careful because he's playing against men mm. that are 21 and 22 and 23. So, you know, it, it's a case of, yes, throw him in, but equip him with the tools that mm. he doesn't become a victim of, of, of foul play. But oh. if you don't throw him in now, I mean, when you look at Luther Singh, I threw him in at 14 years old. He was playing against a team from his area, Nurkusek. Mm. And at the first time when he got in there, he was a little bit jaded. And I called him and I said, boy, if you're not confident, rather come sit with me on the side. And he said, no, coach, I want to play. He played. He played so well that his father came to me after the game and he cried like a little child. And he says, coach, I, I, I don't believe what I see. I left this child with you at, at 10 years old. Four or five years down the line, this boy is, is somebody I can't recognize. And the reason was, he grew up playing with players older than him. But he managed to handle the pressure, he managed to adapt, and he managed to use his God's, God-given talent in the correct manner. And I think, so what Satan's means is we are so blessed with raw talent that we could become world champions if we only ensure that we develop that talent in a systematic, scientific way. I promise you, if you compare our raw talent, there's no way in the world, and I've traveled, I've been to the greatest nations like Brazil. I've been to Europe. And I tell you, if you take a row for raw talent from the township and you play it against their raw talent, we'll run all over them. What we don't comprehend is what do they do with the child at six to the, to the age when he's 18? When you see a young player like Neymar at 17 winning the Copa de la... It's the Cup of Cups in, in South America. Mm. I can't remember the actual name now. This is your Cup of Cups, like the Champions League. In, in, in South America. If you look at 17, him scoring the winning goal against a team from, I think it was Uruguay or something, that says they're doing something right. And he's not the only one. I mean, if you go through the list of players now, I think the biggest challenge for Brazil in the next World Cup is who do they select? They've had such a phenomenal team in the Olympics, and they still have the likes of Neymar and company that was there when they were playing for qualifications. The coach must now select the best. The biggest headache he's going to have is who do I select? Okay, for those just joining us, we're in conversation with Coach Farouk Khan. There's so many voice notes here, so let's take a break, Coach. Then I'll play them for I'll play the voice notes for you. Even some from last week that we couldn't play, we've uh, brought them. Back. With Tabiso Musia. Okay, I did promise to go to the voice notes, but I believe Colin is on the line, so we can't keep our friend waiting uh, for long. Colin, good evening. Thanks for joining <laughs> our conversation tonight. Good evening. No, no, I don't miss your sports. Unless I'm upset with you. <laughs> <laughs> I heard you talking about cats Tommy, this afternoon. <laughs> yeah, uh, Tabiso. Yes. Do you know, uh, I spoke to you about the death bowling. Yes, yes, the That cricket. is what happened today. Okay, forget yeah. about that. Um, Tabiso, when I... When I played in 1955, when I played soccer, I was a little youngster. I could hardly blow my nose properly. Mm. And we went into soccer. Uh, I was brought up in a Catholic uh, school, and we played bare feet. And our coach made us play bare feet, because he told us that by playing bare feet at such a young age, your, your feet get to actually know how to move the ball. Really? Yes. You can lift it with your toes, you can inside, you can outside, and so and so. So when the time comes and you play with boots, your feet are so adapted to the movements when you're playing a year or two bare feet. Mm. I'm talking about 12, 12, 13-year-olds. And um, 
I agree 100% with your coach, uh, with the, your guest. Mm. We don't keep the ball enough on the ground. Mm. Because by keeping the ball on the ground, we were taught, keeps your opponents guessing where that ball's going to go. But oh. once it's in the air, so they can all. sort of recover if they're out of position because it takes a while for that ball to land to the player wherever it is. And by the time it lands onto that player's feet, he's already been closed down, shut down. Oh. Short passes, keep the ball on, 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 on your feet. The only time you give a long pass is when the opposition is uh, from the left wing to the right wing overcrowding the left wing. Mm. And you've got an opportunity and you see your um, your players... The space on the other on side. The ...opposite position. Mm. Then you give a long pass. By the time they re uh, uh, turn their backs again, he's down the flank. That's an interesting one. And then they're moving up towards the center. And that's where Big Ben Anderson and those guys <laughs> head the ball in. Goal. Oh, man. Wow, thanks, thanks for that insight, Colin. So it shows that football is a simple game. Nothing has changed it's from 1955. Game. It's a simple game. Now the children are wearing big boots or tight boots <laughs> and those things, which is cramping their feet. Okay, the thanks, Colin. play bare feet. Play bare feet 10, 11, 12, 13 years old or so. You know what I mean? Okay, thanks, yeah. thanks, Colin. Thanks, Colin. It's football now. It's not no longer soccer as they as they used to call it in 1955. But interesting insight there for from Colin. So about your cat, Colin. I heard you this afternoon talking about how you used to look after your cat and spend 500 rand a month on your cat until it passed away. Okay, we've got more voice notes for Coach Farouk. Let's play them. Good evening, Tayuso. Good evening to your guest. If let's say under under 17 player is being trained to play 432 or yeah 432, and that player grew. To, to be an adult and there may be a different coach is to change the playing position of such a player. Is it not going to affect that player because he was trained from day one with a different style and now that he has grown up, the position is going to change. It's Bramoro in Bloemfontein. Good evening, SFN, Tabisa and the sports section, all of you, Mr. M. Captain. If I add a little bit, I mean, my opinion, football is a vesti in a sport, I mean, really, and some of us, our majority, when they start playing and whatever, they, they end up the wrong. After the career, they end up the wrong. I mean, they involve with a lot of problems. So it's need to be at, I mean, to teach, I mean, who you involve with and where you go and after the soccer, whatever, the people go in the weekend. And what I mean, I mean, a lot of people, they involve with the wrong people here. That's a problem. We know history back way 1994 after, the, if you look back, how many people they off the road, I mean, and they were stable and they go to the drags or whatever. Or I don't say further that, but that's my opinion concerning a little bit going the wrong people. Uh, good evening, Taviso and uh, Mr. Khan. Uh, the biggest problem that South Africa has is scoring. The second problem is there are too many hands on the teams of South Africa. Even the media disturbs the team quite a lot. The third thing is South Africa always chops and changes a team. You don't have a constant team that is playing all the time. So how can you progress when your team is changing in every match? Member, the sad part uh, about your question of who should be in charge of the school soccer tournament is that while we are debating that question, 
our kids are no longer playing soccer. There's no longer football, soccer at the schools, you know. And then we wonder why we are not producing good soccer players in this country. Safa and whoever, they must come together and then sort this thing out. Zico Smith from Macau. Good evening. I think today I will get help. You know, I want those guys to give me help or to give me direction or to, you know, to direct me what to do. I'm passionate in coaching. And coaching this time around, it's important to have papers. I want to acquire every paper in the coaching sector so that one of the good days maybe I'll be a professional coach. I have that passion. So may those guys help me to give me or where should I start? What can I do? What direction they should give me? Good evening, Tariso. Tariso, I do not think we have any style in South Africa that made in Africa. Because as long as our football is being coached by foreign coaches, it means our style dies. As the foreign coaches will come, especially the ones from countries like Germany, and playing the style of Germany. So unless we can be like Brazil, where their players can adapt to any system, as they've done in Italy, England, Spain, and other countries. So to talk about the style in the country, I think is is not there. It's just rhetorically, we do not have a style. What you must do, must teach it players to win, to play what I can recall a winning football where despite the uh, possession he win games this is to learn. Teresa, this is Edmund speaking. I'm from Lady. Now I you know when it comes to youngsters we make sure if we go out we make sure youngsters they go with us. They start first playing, then the masters come, then the opens. I think here in Malaysia we're doing very well when we come to youngsters. Hi, Paul Swellendam. I'm standing there with George Eastham, 1966 World Cup winner. I met him in Cape Town and I asked him, Mr. Eastham, when he played for Lenik, he played for Lenik and Stoke. I said to him, Mr. Eastham, I see you don't hit the ball much. And his answer to me was, you know, it's actually called football. Football, not headball. Okay, that's just a story from George Eastham. I'm sure Farouk will know him well. Okay. Evening, dear member, Tulane from Holland. I can feel the fire burning inside Coach Farouk Khan when he's talking about development. Yeah, in South Africa, we don't take development uh, that serious. As he says, if you can take a Brazilian and a South African, you can see South African raw talent is better than anyone in this world. But now, after that, what do we do about it? A bribing member has came into our football. We don't get to see the good players in the academies because they don't have money to bribe the coaches to come in. Bribing is one of the problems that we have because these teams they don't scout people with money bring in the players so that the players can be signed by teams thanks thanks for those good evening, maybe oh, good evening to libra Khan, libra here is that you well i have two questions for him the first one is with regards to participation 
Now, I'm not there in, in, the, in the grassroots on the ground in terms to know what is the participation. Maybe perhaps Mr. Farouk Khan can help me with that. But I just feel like as an outsider observing as a fan, that in terms of appetite, a lot of kids in this country have really lost interest in mainly sport. So how is football uh, participation at lower levels um, in South Africa, Mr. Farouk Khan? Do you find that children are interested in playing soccer, football, um, as it was in the past? If you can just explain just participation, maybe if, if you have numbers, you can also explain, or are children getting less and less um, interested in football? Um, if you, or is it just the infrastructure that is the problem? Um, so yeah, thank you very much. Let me just leave that second uh, question. Thank you. But yeah, hopefully we can become a footballing great nation. Thank you. Thanks, Libra. We're so used to you commenting about cricket. There's so many of these voice notes. I've tried to note down as many points as I can, Coach. But maybe let's start with the last one, Coach. The participation in lower lower levels. Is there enough participation? Are the kids losing interest in football? Does it go back to what you were saying about schools, maybe? Well, I think, you know, due to the fact that we're exposed to so much international football and so many parents sometimes want to live their dreams through their kids, there'll always be a great interest in football as a sport because it's a sport that's obviously named the beautiful game. And the beautiful game attracts people, but we must make it attractive to people. We must make it attractive to parents. Often we find at youth level, it's more about winning a trophy than looking at developing the kid as a footballer. We put too much pressure and too much emphasis on winning. And when you do that, you're bound to destroy that joy that enjoyment that the kid has, and as soon as he has an opportunity to exit the game, we lose out on him because, unfortunately, there's been so much pressure that he stopped enjoying this game that he obviously would have loved playing if there was people that made him enjoy it rather than wanting to win at all costs. I think we can, we can package this. I mean, if you look at La Liga, what they're doing, they're coming into the different parts of the world to, 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 to get their brand out there. Mm. Why do they do that? Because they realize the importance of marketing the game. But I think I want to go back to your earlier call, Colin. He made some very, very yes. valid points. He spoke about playing with bare feet. And if you look at it, what he's alluding to is that the feet, if you look at when you have a boot on, it stifles the touch, the fine touch that you have with your feet, when you're playing bare feet, you are exposed to the ball, the ball feeling, the, the, the different parts of your foot that is using the ability to use your toes to chip the ball. That all becomes relevant. And obviously, when that happens, in most cases, poorer countries where kids don't have boots, they develop much quicker than kids in countries do, who have those boots because the, the boots actually uh, stifles the, the, the natural feel for the ball. So that was a very good point. He also made some good points about changing the point of attack and the ball on the ground. And I think if you look at that, it shows the wisdom of players that have come from those generations. We sometimes tend to look at new ideas, yet we're sitting with the answers in front of us. We had players in the past that were not in development structures, the likes of Jomo, the likes of Teenage, they were, but they were, they were phenomenal players. Why was that? Because they were allowed to express they, they themselves on the field of play. They were allowed to do with the ball which, 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 which came naturally to Tabiso. They weren't mm. stifled. But I, I heard one caller talk about the influence of foreign coaches. As long as foreign coaches respect the qualities, the culture of our local players, I think they can get more out of it. If you look at uh, a person like 
like Mushin Atikral, who I worked with. He was a very firm coach, but he allowed players to express. He was able to enhance their, 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 their skills, and he was able to ensure that they were able to express themselves, but in a structured way, in a way where they were not careless, both when they had the ball and when they didn't have the ball. So when they didn't have the ball, it was a team effort to try and win the ball back. But when they had the ball, he gave them the freedom to play in a way where they were comfortable. And you saw players like Jabu, how he, how he blossomed. You mm. saw players like Tabu Muki. I mean, that was a, a time when football in the country was, was really exciting. We need to see that same excitement. But again, we must not look at it from top down. You know, there was somebody who spoke about the fact that how systems can influence yes. the players, that we should have a uniformed approach. I agree. We have to get to that point where if you, if you look at a team both at professional level and you look at the team in grassroots, there's some synergy. There's some continuity. Because the player, when he grows up, when he gets into the professional league, we often see kids getting promoted, but they struggle to make it at the first team. Because what happens at the youth development level is contradictory to what's happening at the first team. There has to be synergy. And that is why I'm using, I'm using the example of Machine because we had mm-hmm. that understanding, Tabiso. I knew exactly what type of players he wanted in the first team. And I made every effort to ensure that we developed those players. So that is why at one stage, Kaiser Chiefs pro- promoted eight or nine players that the were chickens. featuring in their first team. The chickens, as they used to call them. Yeah, the chickens <laughs> were coming through. I mean, at one stage, he had... Jabu, he had Santa Gubeka, he had yeah. Isaac Mabocha, he had Gerald Sibeka. I mean, the list is endless of players that were wrong. You don't see that anymore. Now you see a, a player coming in, he gets a cameo performance, the next week he's out of the lineup. Mm-hmm. And then people say, why is the coach dropping him? Maybe the coach feels he's not ready. What are we doing at youth level to ensure that we have the player developed in a way where there's a very short uh, adaptation from being in the academy to being in the first We have the tools. The PSL has produced a league which is perfect for mm. development, which is the, uh, it used to be the MDC, now it's the BDC. It's a perfect league, but it's not a development league. It's not a league where you have 16 and 17 years being developed. It's a league where players are on the brink of making the transition from amateur to professional. And just the other one, Coach, was about um, an aspiring coach. How do you go about getting your badges and being a recognized qualified coach? Look, in the past, Safa had several courses running. I think of late, they've been struggling in that department. I know a friend of mine, Bubi Solomon, runs an online coaching course. Oh, so there okay. are certain people that are doing it. But I think coach education is a, is, a, is, a, is a cornerstone of development of football. And I hope in the future, Safa gets sorted out. I hope they employ a technical director. I hope they continue what they've done a number of years ago. We attended the professional license. The first group was 60 coaches, the likes of Pizzo Mosimani, Steve Compella. Uh, you name it, those people were there. We had a 60-group, Dr. Kumalo. We were all in that course, and then there's 60 more coming in. But my concern was that out of the 120 coaches that did the pro license, how many of them are currently being utilized mm. as coaches in the, in, the, in, the, in the football space? I think that's a concern. You cannot spend that amount of money, and the guy's got a certificate that's sitting at home on his wall, and he's not actively involved. I think that's fair. And obviously, we've had other levels, we've had D license, we've had so many courses going on. What we need to create is opportunities for those people that have qualified to be involved. And the best thing to do, Tobiso, is get schools football going, get these coaches that have done courses, get more youth development specific courses. Because remember, when you do a general qualification, it's not, it's not the same as doing a youth specific qualification. It's like having a doctor 
MD, a guy becomes a doctor, but when he becomes a pediatrician, he has to spend an additional two or three years to be a specialist. Youth development is a specialist uh, 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 coaching, uh, um, how can I say, uh, coaching uh, uh, requirement. Mm. You cannot just do a general coaching course for amateur football or for professional football and water it down. There's a lot of things that you need to understand about children how they grow, when they go to puberty, the different stages of development. And if you are not educated in that, you could do more harm than good in the development of that particular individual. Okay, Coach. Let's leave it there. Thanks again for indulging us and for your insight here. It's been well-received. Lots of people enjoying um, this conversation, and we really appreciate the time you've given us over the past uh, two weeks. And we're going to dissect what you said also and see what also we can take going forward. Abiso Musiya on SAFM. Okay, we're going to take the conversation forward. Maybe some of the converse, of the questions we couldn't get in, but I think the coach touched on almost everything there, Coach Farukan. Oh, Paul, I forgot to ask him about George Eastham. Sorry about that, Paul. Did you say George? I don't know who George. It was obviously before my time. But did you say he's in South Africa or he was in South Africa? That's the part that I missed. But we've got um, renowned scout and uh, author, of course, uh, Mr. Walter Steinbeck, who was with us last week. And he joins us again this week um, here just to talk about South African football and the way forward and where we've gone wrong, considering that we had a document that was formulated in 2012 that was supposed to see national teams ranked in the top three in 2022, top three in on the continent and top 20 in the world but obviously that has not happened but walter thanks again for joining us tonight on safm we appreciate your time good evening Tariso, and uh, also to uh, your listeners i'll ask coach farouk um if what what is seen at afcon when you analyze those players at afcon bra walter technically where are those players at afcon I would really, I would really want to be very patriotic, um, you know, be uh, very African. But the the, the standards um, at Afcon, you know, has really been been very, very bad. You know, and if you check the expectations that we had in teams like like Ghana, uh, teams like um, Algeria, you know, being knocked out early, you know, really shows that the level uh, in the tournament, you know, has not been really, really excellent. You know, but. You've got to give you've got to give credit to to to, to Cameroon and also to, to Senegal, you know, and, and now Egypt are just coming uh, into the semi final. But um, it has been very, very uh, a tournament where little has been has been done, you know, to showcase the the talent that we have in Africa. You know, the, it has been very, very compact, very wait and see, mm. you know, and also playing more on the counter, you know. So was there too I've, much I've, I've influence been, from Europe? Of course, of oh. course. Um, whether you like it or not, you know, you you don't really see the the technical freedom that Coach Farouk was talking about, the the technical expression of of the African player. You know, you don't really see that. You know, if you check, for example, the goal uh, that was that was scored by Senegal, I think the third goal in their match now as they qualify for for the for, for the semi final when the ball was played in the right channel, Mane controlled the ball, went into the box and made nicely for the striker to finish. You know, you would have expected that you would have seen a lot of that in the in the tournament. But it has been it has been very, very poor. You know, teams are looking to go wide, put balls in the box, you know, and finish. You know, it has not really been a spectacle spectacle that we would have expected, you know, of of of, of an African African uh, major tournament. 
Okay, let's go back to talent identification. Um, we spoke, touched on it last week, and this document that we have here talks about talent development structures. What's your understanding of this? I think this is the one Simon Gomane was supposed to head it, and there's a pyramid of a national development structure about who's supposed to make up this structure. Have you seen that one? I've seen the, I've seen the structure, and um, I think the structure set, set its, uh, its purpose when it was designed in 2012. But the game, the game Tadiso has moved really quite, quite, quite drastic. You know, I think also the the talent development pipeline for South Africa need to address a lot and lots of things. For example, where do we find talent? How do we find talent? And who has to find talent? I'll just make a simple example. Um, also, in the in the football scouting bible, I talk about the hotspots. Mm-hmm. We need to know in terms of in terms of the hotspots. If we are looking for exceptional left backs, maybe players with high aerobic capacity, maybe players who are physically adept, or maybe players who are good aerially, where are we going to be able to, to get them? The 1996 team of, of South Africa, really showed us a DNA that we are supposed to have used in terms of selection of players for South Africa. And I'm sorry that I think that point was this what was 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 really uh, not followed up, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in the later years, you know, from 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 2012 moving moving forward, you know. So that's why the talent development factor for us now does not really address those questions that I laid out before. Okay, for those who are just joining us, we are speaking to Walter Stienbock, a scout and author, of course, of the Scouting Bible, just understanding um, more about talent identification and scouting. And and then how should the youth structures look like, Bra Walter? Because we have all the sponsors finding youth tournaments. Are these, are these tournaments producing the results? The, 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 the tournament addresses, addresses a certain part of the development of a player. Uh, which is which is competition. You know, it is important that we have to understand that at the, at, at the lower level, you know, the players have to have fun and and play and enjoy themselves. You know, even competitions which which are there are not supposed to be competitions where players are any medals and cups and money. You know, so the, the the structure that we need to have has to has to go back to what we used to do in the olden days. You know, Coach Farouk was talking about what happens in Brazil in terms mm. of the numbers of players who are playing there. But if you check the talent in Brazil and the talent in South Africa, at age 12 or age 13, when players are not really influenced by, by, foreign, by foreign invasion of philosophies and whatever, we have the similar talent, if not better, as compared to Brazil. So one, we have to have our provincial structures working. The LFAs have to work again. We still have to have schools football. You know, we used to play on Wednesday. We used to play over the weekends and all of that. So as, as long as you're not going to be able to have our players managing to have 10,000 hours of technical work and, and training, it's going to be difficult for us to be able to develop the modern player that we, that we envisage. So let's say, one, the system has to be in place. For example, schools football. We have to have football in the provinces. We also have to have LFA. And competitions must not only be used to select players for the national team, but competitions must be, must be encouraged to perform a critical function of affording players just to test themselves, but not to win at all costs. 
Okay, let's just take a quick break. We'll still continue our conversation with Walter Stenbock as we continue to dissect Safa's National Technical Master Plan. We've spoken about the competitions now. I want to find out from him next. How is also the process of getting these players into clubs? Tulani was talking about bribery. A couple of voice notes. Maybe let's start there. Good evening, Taviso. You are speaking to St. Nesbanks all the way from Ivory Park today. You know, Taviso, always when I'm with my nephew, I always tell him that, you know what, man, all you need to do is to watch the YouTube channels of the footballers. So you need to get the experience because those people are very, 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 very skillful. So you must make sure that before you sleep, you need to watch those uh, players. Because in Africa, in Africa, most of us, we don't take football serious, you see. So that's why some of the uh, European clubs, uh, we don't last. So that's why, that's what I always tell my boy to do. Thank you, Tabiso. Tabiso, way back 2013, 2012, I used to be in Mayfair, where all the Pirates used to train as a block. I would watch Chiefs Pirates players under 14s, under 12s, whatever. But uh, they were so good. Even at half times, Orlando Pirates will display them in different age groups, showing skills in, in the field of play, half ground. But now tell me, 10 years later, where are those old players? So uh, I'm tempted to believe that we are killing development before it can be developed. Thank you, Butinkonke in the Eastern Cape. Okay, okay. thanks for those, uh, Butinkonke and, and everybody else. Bro, Walter, I wanted to ask you about, you know, when you've identified these players and you've scouted, I know over the, uh, on this show you've spoken to us in detail about scouting, but how is the process of getting them into clubs and uh, getting them into proper structures? Is that easy or challenging? Because some of these clubs in the professional ranks don't have youth structures. You'll find that most in the NFD have one senior senior team. Yeah, Tabi, so um, I think... Up until we have we have we have a stringent policy on scouting and especially on the on the development plan for South Africa, we're still gonna have we're still gonna have these challenges. Um, I still get calls, you know, from for players from for, for from players in Giani, players in Matatiele, on on all of that, looking for opportunities to come to come and uh, uh, to Johannesburg to some some of the top teams. But what I want to say is that. Because NFD teams and PSL teams are not forced by any legislation as compared to the Bundesliga. You remember oh, we spoke about the Bundesliga? Yes, yes, yes. You know, that in the Bundesliga, teams in the Bundesliga 1 and teams in the, in the Bundesliga 2 are forced to have academies. You know, and as such, they're also forced to have scouts and all of that. So up until we, we, we legalize it, you know, and we create a framework and a strong policy, that demands that you know uh, clubs must have must have, must have scouts and academies. You know, you you you're still gonna have this 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 problem. I mean, if you check, for example, if we can make a survey even in the PSL, how many under 23 players you know are playing um, week in week out? You know, I'm not I'm not even saying under 21. You know, I'm making it even bigger under 23. You know, but in Germany, um, teams are forced 
you know, and they get also remunerated, you know, for trying to force teams to be able to use these players, you know, to be able to accelerate their, their development. So most of the time, uh, clubs who, who do have scouting departments uh, will send co- uh, scouts to go to different areas, you know, to, to go and scout players and then invite them for trial. Um, but as, uh, as to whether how often it happens, you know, it's, it's really difficult for me to say. Yeah. And, and does the Reserve League help then? As Baldwin said, um, the Reserve League uh, uh, is not, is, is not the, the prerogative of, of, of the Premier Soccer League. You know, the Reserve League is supposed to be the prerogative of South African Football Association because they are the mainstay in terms of, in terms of development. You know, for me, if it was possible to have provincial under-19 teams, you know, in KZN, in Pumalanga, and all of that, you are going to get the best the best young players playing amongst, amongst themselves. Because already those who are uh, at, 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 at the, the PSL teams are already so-called elite players, we assume, you know, who have already their own leagues where they are playing. But you are marginalizing the talent in Kuruman, you are marginalizing the talent in Duzuma, you are marginalizing the talent also in, in Springbok, you know. Mm. So those players, you know, are left out of the system, you know. So that's why... Um, we, we find that players like uh, Rivaldo Cotia and all mm. of them, you know, will have to move almost 500 kilometers, you know, from Takama to go to Cape Town to be spotted, you know, because the, the resources and also the, the necessary uh, tools that, that must be used to develop our players are not, are not evenly distributed. Yeah, and that's actually in the document also, Vision 2022, to say that there should be centers of excellence around the country, all nine provinces, and there must be technical technical officers also. We touched on that uh, last week, and obviously that hasn't happened because the only center that we know is the one in KZN, but we're still not sure if it was the brainchild or, of SAFA or, 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 or not. So that's an interesting point you make there, Walter Steinbock. And I, I want to go back next week to the point you raised about the previous... Bafana Bafana teams because even the document talks about the difference between current South African players and those of past successful South African teams. I mean, the point you made about previous South African players. But because of time, we're going to leave it there. Hopefully we can arrange and we'll have more time next week, Bro Walter, because it seems like we can't get enough of this conversation. Problem, uh, But today I also wanted to touch on uh, a very nice report, you know, that mm-hmm. was given on the scouting of players by Ulani Mokwena, you know, the co-coach at, at Mamuri Sundowns, oh, okay. using data analysis. You know, I thought, I thought I haven't really had much debate, okay. you know, but I thought the piece that we had there was excellent. And I'll, I'll touch on it next Let's week. touch on it next week. I'll also pull out the clip where he talks about what they saw in Bradley Ralani, that everybody's criticizing the signing, but he talks about the shots at goals that he takes, how influential he is in the team and all of that. Okay, that's a good point. You've given us something to think about. Thanks, bro, Walter. Thanks a lot and uh, good evening. Thank you to Coach Farouk Khan also for joining us tonight. Yeah, we can never have enough time for this conversation, folks. So we'll pack it again until next week. Apologies if we couldn't get to your voice notes. And before we go, we just want to send strength to a friend of our show here, um, Uncle Dumile Mateza. We know that he's not been well um, for the past few days, and we do understand that his condition was very critical uh, this week. So strength to you, Uncle D, and uh, we wish that you make a recovery there. Uh, we can't imagine without you. Um, I know you're probably listening on this show. You always listen on the show wherever you can. So strength to Uncle Tumila Mateza there. We'll be back tomorrow then. We have to go to news. It is 8 o'clock. Afcon Semis tomorrow and on Thursday, of course.